And so now, our head angel, I will introduce as our spiritual director, Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. Good morning. We're, uh, we're experimenting with filming right now, so you'll see some different configurations and things. And there's a light that's shining in my eyes right now, so I can't see anybody over on this side, but know that I know you're there. So, all right. Let's see. Let's, uh, if those who would like to stand and say a prayer. There we go. More light. Let there be light. Uh, please feel free, and if not, if you'd like to stay seated, that will work as well. And the words that we're going to sing together are behind me on the screen in this very room, and then I will uh, we'll go into a uh, affirmative prayer. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world and in this very room there's quite enough joy for all the world and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit Spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. Let's take a breath together. And let it out. And one more. And a sigh. Let us relax into this moment. This perfect moment. Nothing to do, nothing to fix. Nothing to regret. Just this moment, this breath. And this next breath. And this body temple knows what to do. And this ever-present, infinite expression of life that goes by so many names, guides us and leads us, resources us, and our breath is an example of that. So I breathe into the cave of my heart in this moment, the depths of that, and I tap into that higher wisdom self, and it is powerful and wonderful. And so I recognize that one life as I breathe it in and breathe it out, as I see it all around me, as I touch it in the hugs and the handshakes, as I, I see it expressed in the laughter and the smiles and the sorrow and the pain at times. It is all God. It is all spirit. That life I claim is my own in this moment. I do it intentionally. We come together to fast track our spiritual evolution by living a spiritual life at the Center for Spiritual Living. One of many beautiful traditions upon the planet. We bless all traditions. We bless the depths of all traditions where we all meet. And so what I know in this moment is whatever is important for me to realize, to convey, to be, to express to understand, to let go of, to release, to surrender into the mystery, and all that and more, whatever it is, I make myself available in this moment, standing in faith and growing a greater state of love, that perfected love 
that is who and what you and I are. So I give thanks for the opportunity to come together in that awareness, in that possibility, and in that expression. Being nurtured and shaped and woven into the mosaic of consciousness in a way like never before. And I just give thanks. I give thanks for this opportunity, for this moment, for the blessings that have brought me to this point, for those that are contained within each moment together today and those that are yet to be expressed. I give thanks. I stand in the gratitude with that. I release anything in my awareness and consciousness contrary to what I've just expressed. I release it with love and care. Whatever there is within me that needs more examination, I embrace it and look at it so that I may release that with love as well. For this I give thanks and together we say, and so it is. Beautiful, beautiful. Went to a uh, Robert Burns party the other night and I found out that the McLeods used to steal the Buckingham sheep. And so I brought Gary McLeod and Norm McLeod uh, and Gary Buckingham together before the first service to do some forgiveness work. <laughs> That's not true, but I just thought I'd throw that in. I fo- and they're both gone now. I thought of it between services, so if you see them later. Anyway, um, but it was, you know, I have to tell you, that was, that was a wonderful event we went to. And, you know, if you haven't experienced divine dining, one of the great things, so somebody asked me, hey, do, what, see, these are our low sheets, by the way, the ones on the sides. You can get season tickets now over on the sides. <laughs> Talk to me afterwards. So I'll make sure I save one for you. Anyway, I just, I love this. I just love how close everyone is. And, and, uh, and this, how many people like this? How many? Oh, okay. Thank you. How many, and how many people are getting used to it? I'm not even going to ask how many don't like it, but um, anyway, I just, uh, it's, it's kind of a, um, it's a fun, fun thing, and, and I, I, I love it. So, um, the, but the Robert Burns party, the Divine Dining, if you haven't experienced it, was, what a treat. We went over to Ross and Carrie McDonald's home. I had no idea. And Laura said, we got a Divine Dining on Friday night. I said, okay, let's go. And, I, and we get there, and it was a Robert Burns celebration. So we had haggis, and we had um, uh, scotch. There was scotch there. And then Ross is this amazing piper. So we got this bagpipe concert. It was incredible. And Anna uh, Johnston uh, was there in her regalia, and Ross was in his kilt, and, and it was just beautiful. And then Anna was reciting Robert Burns' poetry, and she made the after-dinner drink, which is... You soak your oatmeal in whiskey. I didn't know you could do that. You soak your oatmeal in whiskey and what else do you put in? Honey. Honey, oatmeal, and whiskey. I got all my oatmeal at home right now soaking. It's amazing. It was fantastic. And so I think next year for Robert Burns, we should have a Robert Burns dinner here for everyone. And, and, Ross, and, Ross, and Ross said he'd play for it. So I just think, what, and, and it's expand, like the, the, the gala. The gala really is a big um, divine dining. It really is. And it's so much fun. When you hang out with people and you have a meal, it is just so wonderful. And then Anna brought the oatmeal. It was fantastic. Uh, so, but if you haven't, and so thank you, all of you that have done divine dinings and stuff, they're always so much fun. We get to come together and have a meal and then we laugh and tell stories and... Uh, it's just a, it's a, it, and so it, for me, I'm always reminded of the talk I heard by um, 
See to the soul. Uh, no, uh, care of the soul. Care of the soul. Thomas More. What, what, what were you yelling over there? Thomas More. I saw him speak in, uh, at Omega Institute a few years back. He talked about the sacredness of having a meal together. And every time I go to divine dining. So, because what is sacred? Sacred is, isn't just serious and somber. Sacred is a celebration of life. That's why when you come here and we do, we do the music, and we, and we, so it's, a, it's about creating an incubator where the, the vibrational tone of our beingness can be amplified. And the reason it's so easy to do because that divine spirit lives within each and every one of us. God is present because you are present, and I am present, and we're not the totality of God. When people hear that, they go, oh, you guys say you're God. Well, we do, but you're God too. And, and, so, and, and, and that infinite presence, that spirit, expresses itself in unique and wonderful ways. And, and God will never be expressed like the way you express it. And the capacity for us to express it in a more refined and more fully orbed manner is the reason we come together. It's why I'm called to this. And so over the last, you know, I've thought about it, and this is my 16th year of ministry. And, and, and so that's one thing I do. I'm not just a minister. And, and, and I'm always very mindful of that when I start to become over-identified with any particular thing. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. But one of the reasons that we've gone through the rituals that we have over the last uh, few weeks is that if we don't have a map of where we might like to go, we're going to continue to circle the block. Um, and so if we set an intention, it's sort of like putting a GPS on in our vehicle, or if we have one, if you've been, you know, ever been around a GPS, and, and then being, and, and following the guidance. And I think 90% of the time the GPS gets you there. The other 10% of the time I've circled the block with the GPS. But the point is, is that we all need, see, we can do whatever we want. We can do whatever, whatever we want. But we can't do everything. You can't do everything because there's not enough time. So we, get to, we have to pick and choose. But you can do whatever you want. And so when we came together this, this, uh, this month, we, asked, we invited people. So if you haven't been with us all month, and some people have been traveling, and, and good for you, what we did the first week in uh, January is we did a releasing. We looked at conditions or experiences in our lives that we were unhappy with, and we did a bit of a meditation, and we decided, well, there's a word attached to that experience or that condition. And so if I'm struggling financially, it might be lack, or it might be the feeling that I don't deserve, or it might be something, but you play with the words and you find the word that's the most rich and wonderful and the most, really it's the most painful or uncomfortable. And so with that word, uh, let's say in my word right now I'm working with is lack. And so when I have the experience of lack, then what do I do? And I usually go into analysis, which leads to worry, which usually leads to frustration, and then sometimes it can just, you know, spin me into depression. And not that that's not a wonderful experience, but I've, had, I've learned enough from that. And so what I want to have in my life is I want to have practices. One of the things that we do within this community that I think is, is quite uh, beneficial is that we, we offer uh, tools and skills to change and transform our consciousness, which changes our lives. And so the first week, it's important that our body, I believe, becomes the prayer. Otherwise, we stay up in our mentality and we think, oh, I've done all my forgiveness work and I understand all of this and I got it all down. And then... And then uh, nothing's changed. I was standing in the alley. We were doing some work. We were doing a repair on the, the ladies' bathroom on Friday with some volunteers. And a uh, guy pulls up looking for a dog. And he's in this old, old beat-up pickup truck. And he's, he looked like he hasn't taken a bath in about three years. 
covered from head to toe with dirt, and a, he's got a beard going, and you know, hair growing out of your ears. That's one of the great things about getting into the last third of your life. Hair starts growing out of your ears. I love that. Nobody told me that when I was a kid. And so he, he said, do you all teach the Bible in there? And I said, oh yeah, we honor all the sacred text. And then he was going to give, he started in on, uh, you know where Mount Sinai is? That's what he asked me. I said, well, I believe it's in the Middle East, but I'm not sure. I think it's there. And then he went into, he started in on this long dissertation on, on how the Bible is accurate and it's all word for word verbatim. And uh, I waited, I listened for a couple of minutes and then and I realized there's nothing being expressed here that I'm interested in hearing. Um, and I thought, isn't it interesting how we get an idea in our head, and, and, and how I can do this? I get an idea, and, but I would never do that, which I love about our teaching. I don't, have to, to, I don't have to convert anyone. But here's this man that doesn't look like he has two nickels to rub together. That when I look at people, I say to myself, and this is, of course, one of the, the, the signs, would I want to change places with this person? And, you know, it was immediate. I thought, No. But uh, so anyway, uh, in the middle of it, I just simply said, look, I got to go do some work. I was bringing parts in from the, uh, the, my truck and I'm going to get to work. And he kept talking and talking and I just came right back in the building. I said, I'll, I'll see you later. I'm busy. But I, I just thought about how, how we just love uh, and we can become so entrenched and I can do it too with what we believe to be true. And it's not the first time I've had someone say to me, the Bible is accurate because there's so many contradictions in the Bible. I don't know where you land with that but I believe it's sacred text and I think there's great value in it. But we look at it in this tradition, we look at it from a whole different perspective. And it's not that we pick and choose, but there's, there's a much deeper meaning in that. But there, there are teachers all around us and I realize that when I'm in an environment where someone is pontificating to me what doesn't represent what I believe and hold precious, I don't have to make them wrong. I just, I had to excuse myself and move away. So it's not like, oh, you're wrong and let's have a battle. It was just like, thanks so much for stopping by. And if I see, he was looking for a dog. I said, I see the dog. I'll see what I can do to catch him and see you. And it was great. I, and he, he, he might still be parked out there talking. <laughs> I don't know. Because he was on such a roll, it didn't matter after a while. He was just staring straight out the windshield and I was off to the side. And I thought, this guy's doing fine without me. I'm going to let him keep going. <laughs> so what we did at the beginning of the... Of the uh, and so what I know about that too is in my own forgiveness work, because that used to be a role, I used to really react to that, and then I want to do battle. I don't have a battle there anymore. So I've done enough forgiveness work around that so that in my own beingness, I don't have to spend a lot of time on that. I can honor where he is and understand and say, I get it, man, this is what you believe, and that's powerful, and you need that. But it doesn't represent me. And so thank you for coming by and reminding me and modeling for me what I used to really react to. And so what we did in the first week is we found an experience or condition, and this was an experience for me, but that we were, we'd like to change or shift, and so we need to release it. We need to create space and put it down and put it down and put it down. So what, what we did is we invited people, and we're going to do it again if you haven't been here, and there's flash paper. Let me model how flash paper works for you. You light it. You don't drop it into the candle. You hold it up, and then you let it go. Now, what's happened is people, when they come up to do it, they'll drop it right away because they get scared, and then it puts the candle out. So then we have to relight the candle. So if you can just remember, so right now I'm going to release collectively for this community any sense of activity of lack. Your life's individually or for this community. Let's release lack and we'll create a space for that. So we're going to release lack right now. So there goes lack. Now that's a metaphor. But each time we do it, perhaps another cell in our beingness comes alive. 
And now I'm going to release this idea that I'm not lovable. Because that's a really popular idea. That I'm not lovable. Oh, see, I put the candle out. There I am. See, even I, I'm, even, I'm even having trouble doing it. It's hard to release, isn't it? Isn't that a metaphor of resistance about how we don't want to let go? Yeah, yeah. And the lighter's not here. I have, I came over early this morning. I want to tell you, I'm going to digress a moment. I came over early this morning because I knew that our ramp was icy and I threw a bunch of salt on it yesterday. And then I threw a bunch of salt on it this morning and then Jackie Hancock went out and scraped all the ice as best she could. But I'm going to tell you what one of the most powerful spiritual practices is around here for me. We have so many beautiful volunteers and this is not meant as a complaint. Come on, candle light. Yay! Is that every time someone does something around here, it, something gets moved. And so part of my spiritual practice, because it used to be that we'd get really frustrated, I couldn't find things, because I was looking for the ice scraper this morning. I can't find the ice scraper. And so I was in here and I thought, I can react to this or I can celebrate it. And so I did, I went and looked through everywhere I could and couldn't find the ice scraper. And then Sue Edwards came in with something that looked like an ice scraper and we used that. But I thought, I'm doing good today because I didn't get upset at all. I just thought, but it's fascinating because people do things and we want people to do things. We need volunteers. But people move stuff and then I can't find it. So it's one of my spiritual practices looking for the stuff that got moved. If you want to know what I do during the week, most of the time I'm in here looking for stuff. <laughs> and then I got an hour or a couple hours a week, I do a talk. And then once you guys leave, I'm back in here looking for stuff. So it's great. <laughs> and I've embraced it. It's my way of life. So the, the flash paper can be a, a wonderful metaphor for release. And I think it's important to not just do it in, you know, we lip, lip service, I, I forgive you. Right. And then the next thing I know, I get a little tired, I get a little sad, I get a little too lonely, I get a little too hungry, I get a little too angry, and I'm right back there, you know, murdering somebody in my head. And then I get to do more forgiveness work. But the point is, is that... that so we did the, the release. And then what we invited people to do is take a tile, or little tiles over here, to write your word on that. That's the clean slate. Put your clean slate down there. What is it you want to experience? What is the, what is the ideal? So that, that the experience that you're longing for, and, we, and so we asked people to write it on our community tile, which I framed over here. So they're over here, and if you didn't get a chance to put your word down, please find a space in there to put your word down. And then what we did with that the next week is we took that word... And when we were ready, and you may not even be ready yet, because they're going to be out for the rest of the years, we invited people to take a ribbon here. We have a variety of colored ribbons. Take one and tie it to the community heart, which is representative of the journey from the head to the heart. Because once we embody it, once it's in our heart, then we live in the experience. It is who we are. And so we just know, we know, we know. We stand in faith. And so the things that are, the conditions or the experiences that create the fear in us, which is the lack of faith, what we get to do is we get to pull them up and look at them and realize, okay, here's this thing. Because the reason we don't look at them, and myself included, is for the longest time I didn't have an effective tool to deal with them. So why want to pull them up and look at them? I was reading last night, someone said that we've had, we've had uh, psych psychology um, and psychiatry for 100 years. And we're worse now than we were 100 years ago. How did humanity survive? And I'm, not, I, I'm, all for, I'm all for the inquiry. I'm all for sitting down and having a discussion. Believe me, I'm not saying that psychology and psychiatry are bad things. I'll sound like Tom Cruise in a moment. But, <laughs> but the point is, is that 
we must do the examination and to pull it up is one thing and then to have some, some way of dissolving the belief because it's, error, it's an error, a belief. And so when I create that space, then I can, so I create the space by taking a vow, deciding which direction I want to go in my heart and my being and I take the vow and I tie it to the community heart. So every time you come in here, I guarantee you, you look for your ribbon. I know what ribbons I've put up there. And I, I look at them and go, yep, I remember that. But it's just a touchstone. This week is about touchstone. And it's, it's, a, you know, it's wonderful work to be... We are, as I mentioned in the, in the opening treatment, what we're doing is we're fast-tracking our spiritual development. It's what this community is about. And I believe it's the most important work we can do. I believe this is the most precious, important work all of us can, can do. I know that in my heart. I get God bumps when I say that to you. It, it, it's, it, it's so... Um, it's such a gift to ourselves and to the world when we start to get this. And we get it in bits and pieces. We don't get it all at once because we, we can't contain it all at once. That's been my journey and my experience. I'm reading one of, my, one of my great, wonderful teachers. I want to meet this guy one day, uh, uh, Father Richard Rohr. He's a Franciscan. And I've read, I read, used much of his material over the last year. And he talks in his book, it's called, it's his new one called The Immortal Diamond. And the diamond is finding our true self. It's a discovery of our true self, which is really what we teach. I was talking to somebody that was at the Oprah thing at the Rexall. Anybody go to see Oprah at the Rexall? Awesome. And, 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 uh, the, and what was said was it's just like going, it was like going to church at the Rexall. Because what, what I heard was Oprah talked about we've got to find a divinity within ourselves. We must work from the inside out. And, but we need to hear it over and over and over again. I've always thought we should just, eventually we, we grow the consciousness. We don't even need to build a building here. We just rent the Rexall every Sunday. We could do 50-50 tickets. <laughs> I could stand on a rubber mat at the, the face-off circle. We would have beer. Yes, we would. <laughs> beer and oatmeal. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, now we're talking. But Father Roar says this. Father Roar says this. Let me tell you. He talks about the false self, and he talks about the true self. Now, the true self always has something good to say. When we're in our true self, see, we're in and out of it. It's not we're not ever in it, and it's not when we're, you know, we're always out of it. When you're in, when, when there are people on the planet whose spirit is not awake, and, and we call them victims. And God bless them because they deserve our prayers. And the reason that we're doing this is not only for ourselves and those we love, but it's also for them to clear the way so that it becomes easier for them to step into their divinity. And whatever tradition that may be, hallelujah. This fellow sitting in his truck and he believes the Bible's literal. You know, I'm not going to argue that away from him. If that, if that vehicle, if his belief moves him into a greater state of awareness and oneness with spirit, I'm all for it. I'm not here to be the spiritual hall, hallway monitor for people. Man, if that gets you there, go for it. If that floats your boat, go sailing. So Rohr says this about our false self. There's four characteristics of the false self. And I think it's worth talking about because we're here about healing and transformation. You two aren't waiting up there this time. Good. No, I, had them. I told them we're, we're going to do a song, but in a bit, and they waited up there the whole talk, and then we did the song. Thank you. <laughs> First service, I, they were up there the whole time waiting for me to, and so thank you. Relax. <laughs> Roar says, number one, our false selves. What happens? The four, the four splits, major splits. Number one, we split from our shadow self 
we split from our shadow self, which is also God, which is those broken spots, is those places where we react, our shadow self and pretend to be our idealized self. We pretend to be our idealized self. So we, and so we're our, we, we line up, and so what we're doing is we're living to impress others. I'm a good person. I'm so saintly. Have you noticed? But, but, but it's, all, it's all this layer of, of persona. It's all this egoic nature that goes over all the, 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 the shadow self, which we don't deal with. Because I'm perfect, whole, and complete. I'm one with God. On and on and on and on and on. And, and, and if we use the, tr- the teaching as spiritual bypass, then, then it's not a tool. It's just simply a way that we um, don't have to confront ourselves. And that's a subtlety because Rohr says that the true self and the false self, it's very hard to identify. It's almost impossible. And that's why many times we feel like we're really living this divine quality of life and we may not be that at all. But that's for us, that's the conversation for us to have. So number one, we split from our shadow self and pretend to be our own idealized self. Number two, we split our mind from our body and soul and live in our minds. And that's why the prayer needs to be the body. That's why the releasing prayer and co-creation, we use, I I release my belief in lack, I release my need for worry, and I'm grateful God is the freedom that I am. Because I realize I want my whole body to be in my prayer. I want to have to walk over. That's why I could say to you, sit in your chair. Now, imagine yourself holding a piece of flash paper, and imagine you're going to release, and imagine, imagine then you're going to write a word, and imagine now you're going to tie a ribbon. It's a whole different experience when we have to take the pilgrimage. That's why pilgrims would go on pilgrimages. That's why people would leave their homes. The reason that they built labyrinths in the Renaissance and churches because it became too costly and dangerous to go to the Middle East because too many people had been offended and, and, and terrorized by people coming to the Middle East to reclaim it. And so it's important. But when we split our mind from our body and our soul, see, and, and healing is at three levels. It's at the level of the mind. It starts with the thinking. And then it goes to our heart. And then it's in the body of our affairs. This is exactly what, what Rohr is talking about. But we can't do it if we just live in our minds. Number three, we split, from, we split life from death and try to live our life without any death. The Apostle Paul wrote, die daily. If we look at sacred scripture, St. Francis, St. Catherine, and all the great avatars, Rumi in his poetry, and, and most of the, the, the um, if not all of the Sufi poets, wrote of death. But they were talking about what must die. So when I say, I'm going to release this, I'm going to release my attachment to lack. Because, man, lack is such a, it's so potent. When you believe there's not enough, doesn't that keep you busy? I mean, it's a, it's a great occupation. Because what I used to do when I believed in lack, when I was younger, is I'd, I'd work harder. And see, I've come here and I brought that, you know, so, you, you know, I love doing stuff. Give me something to do, man. Oh, good, we're going to remodel the sanctuary. woo I got something to do. But what I realize more and more and more and more is I get a chance to invite people to help me, which creates more space for me to do my own work, which is very uncomfortable because I'd rather stay busy than do my own work. I'd rather, I'd rather build something with my hands and do my own work. And yet when I do the work, when I'm, when I'm forced to confront myself because there's been a, a space given, then something beautiful and wonderful can happen. And what I realize in the co-creation is that I continue to do my own work and clean my own house, which is the only place I can do the work. Bigger and greater and more wonderful opportunities and ideas show up because the infinite currency is ideas. The infinite currency is ideas. 
I got this, I don't know what I'm doing with this in my hand, but I'm not going to let it go. I don't want to release this yet. I guess it was, oh, it was lack. <laughs> the fourth one, we split ourselves from ourselves, our, our, uh, we split ourselves from other selves. This is the false self. We split ourselves from other selves and try to live apart, superior, and separate. So that's what I love about divine dining. You get to sit down and have a meal together and see who slurps their, uh, their soup. It, see, we think, isn't it interesting? We're a teaching of oneness. We teach that we're all one. We're all connected to spirit. And, and you're spirit and I'm spirit. And it's like, oh my gosh, there's the dance. Because when we recognize that, we recognize one another in a true self. It's heaven. I told Martin, he said, it's a beautiful song, second song. First song was pretty good too. But the second one is just like, oh my gosh. And I said, it's heaven. I'm in heaven listening to this. And so when we're in that, we're in that dance it's a beautiful thing. But see, we want to do this. What I know about metaphysicians, what I know about people that are drawn to this teaching is we're going to do it on our own. Because we, what we've done is we've put down traditional ways of approaching spirituality for the most it's, because it's a, de- it's, a, it's a dead end for most of us. And we realize, you know what, there's something for me to know here. I'm drawn, I'm called to a different idea, a different experience. And so I need to put that down. So we don't need that group. We don't need that idea. We don't need that tradition. As I mentioned last week, there's a new group of people, and a number of them here, that refuse to become members here because they don't want to join anything. But they now have a designation. They're called the group of people that don't want to belong to anything, which really upsets them because now they're part of a group. (laughs) But they'll get over it. We do. We have one lady here who's very supportive. I mean, in every way, shape, and form. And I say to wherever you are, are you ever going to join? She says, no, I don't join anything. I thought, okay. Well, I'm still going to call it, consider you a member. And she gives me one of these as she goes out the door. <laughs> so this, this, is, this is what I, I, I love this stuff. This comes from Thomas Merton, who was a huge influence. Thomas Merton was a cistern monk, and it comes from uh, the, the work of Dr. Uh, Reverend Rohr. Merton said this. He said, if I had... If I have a message to my contemporaries, it is surely this. Be anything, be anything you like. Be anything you like. Isn't that our teaching? Be a madman, a drunk, a bastard of every shape and form. But at all costs, avoid one thing. At all costs, avoid one thing. Success. Huh? If you're too obsessed with success, you will forget to live. If you are too obsessed with success, you'll forget to live. And if you have learned only how to be successful, your life has probably been wasted. I love that. And we see it all around us. Roar expands on it right here, and I think it explains it a bit. We were talking about at the dinner the other night, we were talking about Lance Armstrong. He's a perfect example of it. I went to Hollywood. I wanted to be famous and rich. I was going to be an actor. I didn't realize it was preparing me for my calling. It was perfect. But I started, I was so lucky to be successful at a certain point, and then I could put it down because I realized, oh my gosh, this isn't it, and it scared the, the daylights out of me. It was horrifying. But I realized this is not what my soul is being called to. He says this, some never take their costume off. And it was per- I read that, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's the actor. We're all, we're all trying on different roles, different costumes. And we have to. It's not a bad thing. This is all good. This is great, great stuff. 
But to understand it and have an insight into it is just so powerful. We all, some never take their costume off. A too early or too successful self becomes a total life agenda. You get that? A too early or too successful self becomes a total life agenda. If I had been a little more successful acting, or a little more successful in other roles I put on, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be on this path. I wouldn't be doing this work. Occasionally, okay, a, a too early or too successful self becomes a total life agenda, agenda, occasionally for good, but more often for ill. Think of the many young athletes, musicians, and poets who become obsessed with their identity but never make it to the big time. And even if they do succeed, there are too many stories of unhappiness, being lost, and self-destruction. I mean, isn't that what a lot of the stories are about? So what is it? What is the commonality there? Even if they do succeed, there are too many stories of unhappiness, being lost, and self-destruction. Our ongoing curiosity about our true self seems to lessen if we settle into any successful role. It doesn't mean we don't do roles. It doesn't mean we don't have passion. It's one of the things I love about Martin. When I met Martin, when he first came here, Martin Kerr, and he sang, and then I got a chance to meet him, and I realized that he spent his whole life being influenced and nurtured in the, in the sacred tradition of the Baha'is, which are beaut- it's a beautiful, beautiful tradition. So there's a depth of, of spiritual connection there that he brings to his music, and so for those of us that speak that language, when we hear it, it's like, this is heaven. This is heaven. When I make my transition, Martin Kerr's uh, uh, CD will be playing. If he goes before me, I, I'm going to ask him to be there with his guitar playing as I... But I'm just saying, it's, it, it, it's the consciousness. And how do we measure success? Our ongoing curiosity about our true self seems to lessen if we settle into any successful role. We have then allowed others to define us from the outside, although we do not realize it. Or perhaps we dress ourselves up on the outside and never get back inside. When I explore the true self in this book, I'm talking about a second dressing up, which will actually feel more like a dressing down. And so it's, it's wonderful to know this. What role have I put on? What have I, so if, if, my, if my experience and condition is lack, then what, am I, what role am I in that I have to put down in order to have a different experience? And so that's the question I get to have the conversation with that higher wisdom self. And so it's not about not being successful. There have been wonderful, wonderful athletes and actors and musicians that, 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 that history's is listed that, that have, have had vibrant, wonderful experiences. But what I know about all those artists is that they're, they're, they're in the ongoing maturation and deepening of their own being as well. And so then they model, they model really healthy and inspiring things for us. But it, you can see why people like Lance Armstrong would spin out because his identification, he became successful and then it was about maintaining his success at all costs and he got wrapped up in that. And then the persona, uh, you know, and then it was, and, and that's very high, that's, that's high kingdom too, in the kingdoms, from victim kingdom to manifestation. And, and we, all of us need to pass through that kingdom. Manifestation is very, very important. But what's happened culturally for many people is we decided that that's the goal, is manifestation. But the, the, the next level is to move into that co-creation. And co-creation is such a powerful experience. So when we clear space, when we put down whatever the attachment is we have to these words and ideas and ways of behaving that limit our access to our true selves, we create a space for that. And that's why our body becomes the prayer. We did our sacred healing circle here the other night. I release my belief in lack. I release my need to worry. And I'm grateful God is the freedom that I am. And I do the prayer just like that. 
Every day. I do it 70 times. And I do a different, and sometimes a word, uh, different word came up to me the other day. I'm going to start with that word now. Because what I'm at, as I do the work, is I let the things bubble up. And it takes about six minutes. As Marcia Sutton said to me when I started studying with her, because this feels like endless work. Oh my gosh, you know, here I thought it all figured out. I'm a, I'm a minister in religious science, you know. I'm master of time, space, and dimension. You mean there's something more for me to know? And she said, it's months and months and months. And I thought, okay, I'm planning to live a few more months. I'll give it a shot. Because the great thing is, if this stuff is all hooey, you try it for a year, and if your life's not any better, you can leave any time you want. I, I can't keep you here. I can't threaten you with hell. <laughs> I can't guilt and shame you. If you needed me to make me wrong so you can leave, you get to do that. What I know about that, the beautiful thing I know about that, it's all projection. It's my projection. My opinions of you are my projection. And the things that I don't like about somebody else, they are mirroring for me the unhealed pieces of myself. Which is really sometimes tough to swallow. But it's true. If I react where I find myself reacting. So what I find is I've done this work and I've done my own prayer work and I sit in my prayer chair and I, and I now have the, the patience with myself to be kind and loving and patient that my, my, my interaction with the world is more peaceful and it's sweeter and it's more loving and it's more generous. Not because I'm trying to impress somebody, but it's just simply when I hear things coming back at me that for years I wanted to, to rail against and scream about, I don't have that, that, that reaction to it anymore. So I, I think we all have to look at our lives and the subtleties of that. What, makes us, what, what brings us to life? What's powerful? And what brings us more peace? For me, when I'm in the clarity and I'm in the peace and people are saying things to me that I know aren't true, I can listen to it and, and, and the accusation, I can stand and listen to the accusation and say, tell me more. And, 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 and at a certain point in time, I get to honor myself by saying, that doesn't represent my position and then I get to excuse myself and be about my life. Because I'm not going to change them. I'm not going to transform them. The only place I can transform my consciousness is here. But if I, if I decide I'm going to be successful in a certain arena, and then I become identified with that, then I've got to have more and more and more of that to feel successful. And so it's not about we don't do things. It's not about we don't participate in life. It's just that our consciousness and what we bring to the world completely shifts and changes. And this is what we're, at, we're called to do, I believe, on this planet. We've gone as far as we can in, in kingdom two, manifestation. Yes, right. <laughs> Hallelujah. I paid that kid to say that at, right at this time. That's fantastic. I'm going to double your pay and cut your hours in half. <laughs> Co-creation always produces something better than, than what has been done in the past because it always produces newness. That's why we're doing the co-creation circles. We're doing it with our practitioners. We're doing it with our board. We're doing it once a month here. It produces newness. I'm interested in newness. Aren't you? Yeah, why not? Because I know what oldness looks like. And yesterday ended last night. Have you noticed that? That's true. I got one last piece that I think is just, just brilliant, and it's from one of my favorites. It is from Mark Nepo, Facing the Lion, Being, being the Lion. And it's called to be a clear vessel. And one of the great lines that I've always loved is uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said to be a, the clean, hollow vessel. 
So I'm going to walk over here and I'm going to release anything within me that's a lie within me that does not allow me, that restricts me being a clean, hollow vessel. It's gone. The twinkling of an eye. He says this, it seems we have always had two choices. To run from pain or to be a healer. To run from pain or to be a healer. We, are a, we teach the perennial truth and we teach healing. And healing is simply that we've got, we have ideas about ourselves and opinions about ourselves that restrict our true self. And so it'll be about the business of, of dismantling those and dissolving those is what a healer is. And when out of love we face our pain and the pain of others, whether physical, psychological, or spiritual, the art of caring centers on the question, how do we hold pain so as not to spread it? Yeah. How do we hold pain so as not to spread it? That's why practitioners spend years and years practicing, 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 because people come in with stories and they're painful. How do we listen to the story? How do we hold it, hold that space in consciousness? Emma Curtis Hopkins said it's holding the high watch without spreading it. I wonder how do therapists listen for hours without darkening their hearts? How do doctors and nurses mend wound upon wound without dreaming of cuts? This quandary affects us all. Whether you listen to a stranger's troubles or travel the world to hold the children of war, whether you're an oncology nurse coaxing tiny, thin needles into the hardened arms or a tired mother putting a bandage on your little girl's knee, the act of love is always involved absorbing another's pain. But being a healer necessitates letting go of whatever pain or toxins we absorb before they make us ill or land with dark contagions in others. So when I say take the flash paper and release, it's releasing the toxins, it's releasing the darkness, and it's opening us up. And then we become the clean, hollow vessel. And then we make our declaration and we're more, more available to that, that experience. And our work to do then is to be mindful and the things that come up in contrast to that say, no, no, I'm no longer doing that anymore. I'm directing this infinite intelligence within me to remind me and guide me and support me and resource me in every good way so that whatever that old attachment to that lack or limitation or I'm not lovable or I don't deserve, whatever it may be, I'm putting it down. That's the forgiveness work that we have an opportunity to do. You ready? So we're going to do a prayer. Right now, I'm going to invite you to stand up. So we have the seats in this, this sort of semicircle now. And you're going to, well, we're going to practice the prayer a couple times first. I know you know the words to this. I don't know if we can get it up in there. Um, it's the face of God. So you are the face of God. I hold you in my heart. You are a part of me. You are the face of God. You ready? You are the face of God. You are the face of God. I hold you in my heart. You are a part of me. You are the face of God. You are the face of God. I hold you in my heart. You are a part of me. You are the face of God. Okay, you got it. Now, now we're going to do the really uncomfortable thing. We're going to pick somebody out across the room and sing it to them. 
And the deal is, try and find somebody that you don't know that makes you really, really uncomfortable. Okay? So if you live with the person you're singing to, you're probably not doing it well. All right, here we go. Everybody got somebody? If you don't, you can use me. You are the face of God. I hold you in my heart. You are a part of me. You are the face of God. One more time with feeling. You are the face of God. I hold you in my heart. You are a part of me. You are the face of God. All right. Give them a wink if they're a long ways away. A thumbs up. Oh, Bob's your uncle. Maze your aunt. Yeah. The last piece for your touchstone is, I, uh, as you came in, you should have received a, a sheet with the moments of high resolve, which is Dr. Howard Thurman. Because we forget. It's such a beautiful passage. It's such a beautiful passage. Keep fresh before me the moments of my high resolve. Despite the dullness and barrenness of the days that pass, if I search with due diligence, I can always find a deposit left by some former radiance. We all know what it is. We all know what our true self is. I can always find a deposit left by some former radiance, but I had forgotten. At the time it was full-orbed, glorious and resplendent, and I was sure I would never forget. In the moment of its fullness, I was sure that it would illumine my path for all the rest of my journey. I'd forgotten how easy it is to forget. It's so easy to forget. There was no intent to betray what seemed so sure at the time. My response was whole and clean and authentic, but little by little there crept into my life the dust and the grit of the journey. Details, lower level demands, all kinds of cross currents, nothing momentous, nothing overwhelming, nothing flagrant, just wear and tear. Hallelujah and amen to wear and tear, huh? If there had been some direct challenge, a clear-cut issue, I would have fought it to the end and beyond. In the quietness of this place, surrounded by the all-pervasive presence of God, my heart whispers. Our hearts are whispering right now. Keep fresh before me the moments of my high resolve. Let's read that together. Keep fresh before me the moments of my high resolve, that in fair weather or in foul, in good times or in tempest, in the days when the darkness and the foe are nameless or familiar, I may not forget that to which my life is committed. Keep fresh before me the moments of my high resolve. Amen. There's this forgiveness exercise to do there. we called to that. And then at the bottom from Dr. Lloyd Strom. Let's read this together. I'm grateful God is gracious. I'm grateful God is near. I'm grateful that my perfect love has cast out all my fear. And so it is. Mm-hmm.